in your opinion, we're going to talk about guilds a whole lot in this episode, but in your opinion, what is an organization or an institution or an occupation that is underutilized in D&D? Hmm. Are you rolling? Yeah, let's roll. Two. Well, I got a 14. I got an eight. So I guess I'm talking to myself then. Um, the thing that I would like to see a lot more of is trophy hunting guilds. Hmm. No. I like the idea of there being those old school safari type hunters. And it could be anything from Goliaths to Kobolds to Orcs. To anybody that, that would carry a trophy on their belt should have a, a area where they have trophies of the animals that they've killed and whatnot on display. as yeah. signs of either uh, ferocity or skill or whatever it is. I mean, it's an older time. I don't like that in real life, but I think that would really suit D&D. Yeah, I like that. I think so, too. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of side quests that can go along with that. Yeah, it's a good way to get a couple of levels without really chipping away at the story too much. Well, also, if it's your big bad evil guy, he can monologue, you know, as he's standing in front of two dragon skulls. That's far more intimidating than him just standing on a roof or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um... I mean, as you know, as I'm sure I've said before in the past, I've played a lot of Eberron, and Eberron has the houses, which are, I mean, one does banking, one does um, uh, other stuff. Crafting. Yes, crafting. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different ones. And so most of it's covered in that, so I've never really felt a real lack of it. Um, and I'm also one of those guys that doesn't like adding useless things into campaigns. If you're just going to have this guild over here and introduce them and spend 15 minutes on it and we never use it, you've wasted my time. Like, let's play the part of the game that we want to play. Let's not, you know, screw around. Uh, so I feel like I've kind of gotten everything that I can out of guilds. Uh, the one guild that we always go back to, we've always called it the Wayfarers Guild. Uh, and it's just somewhere for random adventures to go and get random missions so i mean i don't feel like i really like yeah there's been certain gaps in my game but i don't feel like i've missed anything because of it yeah if that makes sense yeah it's funny though you don't want to see uh more more different kinds of weaponsmiths or you know you're not interested in more if uh, i want a particular weapon i will sit down with the book figure out what it's going to take for me to get that weapon and then go get that weapon i, I don't I don't need to figure out, you know, oh, there's this and 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 there's this. I don't, I don't care. I want to just find what I want and get it. You know, let let me just look at the book for ten minutes and then mm -hmm. fine, Let's move on. All right, you are so utilitarian when it comes to this. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't like wasting. I feel like it's a waste of my time to do this stuff that I'm never going to look at again later. Ah, see, that, that's it's the journey, not the destination, Dave. I disagree. I am there to get to the destination. <laughs> Miley Cyrus said it's about the climb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Terry, what about you? Well, she also came in like a wrecking ball as well, so, <laughs> so that's different. Uh, for me, I think uh, I I think there needs to be better 
policing in D&D, if I'm being honest. I think that, you know, there's always, like, the town guard or whatever, but why are they universally shit at their job? <laughs> like, the, They're stormtroopers. You know, we, we, we joke, yeah, we joke about, like, murder hobos and stuff. I'm like, why is there not wanted posters going up? Why is there not somebody actually trying to find the person that killed the guy that works in the Smiths? You know, like, why is there not? How come when we go back to this town, it's totally fine? No one's like, there's that guy I saw on the night that the bartender died or whatever. Like, um... I think it, it'll help to ramp up tension. I think it'll help stop players going too crazy, or if they decide that they want to go crazy, to, to go with it. It's like every game of Grand Theft Auto always ends with ultimately you getting bored and then you end up being chased by the army and the police helicopters, right? I think if you want to do that, <laughs> that's fine. Five stars is where it's at, yeah. But that, that's what that's what everybody does, right? In their last 15 minutes before they decide that they want to turn the game off. Um I think that it it needs to be able to to escalate to that. I think murder hoboing is 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 too easy because there's never any uh, there's never any punishment. So I think just better police work in D and D, or bounty hunters. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. good bounty hunters as well. Because if you're if you're working in a world where people can get to very high elite levels, there needs to be high elite bounty hunters to go after those people. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a great point. How many campaigns start with everyone is a prisoner? And they're all cellmates that have to break out together. And then there's never police again. <laughs> yeah, then nobody's looking for them. Nobody's yeah. looking for them. Yeah, exactly. It's like the fourth season of Prison Break. Yeah, everybody's given up. We they're don't talk about that. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs, Adam, Terry, and Dave. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Adam, and with me are Dave and Terry, and today we're talking about Ravnica. Guys, um, do you know much about Ravnica? Are you already familiar with this? I know nothing I'm about Ravnica. I'm familiar with the setting because I've played a bunch of Magic the Gathering, but I'm not super familiar with all of the lore. <clears throat> uh, so, Terry, you don't know anything about this. Uh, but it's uh, Magic the Gathering setting. Right. Right. So um, we've got uh, a whole lot of different rules. When when they kind of platformed this, or when they changed platforms of, of how they wanted to do this from a card game into a tabletop role-playing game, they changed a bunch of the um, rules. They had I feel like they had a little bit of trouble adapting things really cleanly. So what they did was they kind of, did a pick and choose of what worked well and they really fleshed it out right so there is um there's some notable absences uh from regular D. for example dwarves do not exist in ravnica <laughs> um but there are a lot of things like uh the monsters and you could have dwarves there as npcs but they're not a playable race right okay uh the only way that there's going to be a dwarf in Ravnica is if they come from another plane. They're not inherent to this. So if someone wanted to play a level one dwarf, then you have to open up a portal and bring them in somehow. Um, and there's there are a few things like that that are just clearly missing in Ravnica, but I think that they have more than made up for it. And this is a really cool uh, book. It's got some really neat tools that can be adapted into other other games so while it can be a little bit difficult to get something like um barovia anything from curse of strahd to come into ravnica it's very easy to take things from ravnica and put it into barovia right so um it's just i love this is honestly my favorite book 
out of all of them. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about the book. I want to talk about the setting because people should be um, building homebrew campaigns in this setting. It's really cool. It's like steampunk, but it focuses more on um, biomechanics and elemental magic and um, organic magic. And it, the entire thing takes place in a megapolis, which is a metropolis that is just so freaking big, it's ridiculous. This city is, uh, the the world Ravnica is one big city. And the whole thing, it spans the whole world. And it is industrialized, it's dirty, it's weird, and it perverts science and magic in new strange ways. So it's not quite steampunk, it's not like... Clockwork and Gears, although you can find some of that, there's a lot of other weird uh, melding of magic and and science and experimentation and harnessing elementals in different ways. And uh, it's, it's really neat. There's a real mad scientist feel to Ravnica in a lot of ways. Um, but they really do focus on it being about the city. So um, I'm going to start off with... Uh, I'm going to read verbatim the opening bit about Ravnica, just to give you kind of an intro. Sure. It's more than 10,000 years ago, a war tore across the world of Ravnica. Ten armies battled for control of the world in a conflict that ended with the creation of a magical contract of immense power known as the Guild Pact. The leaders of each of the ten armies, ancient beings known as Peruns, were the signatories to the Guild Pact, and they became the first Guild Masters of Ravnica. The text of the Guild Pact spelled out specific roles for each guild within the infrastructure of Ravnica, allowing the city to grow while the guilds coexisted in relative peace. But the true power of the Guild Pact was the strength of its magically binding force, which absolutely prevented large-scale violence among the guilds. For ten millennia, the city grew and flourished under the structure as the guilds evolved into unique and powerful forces, often venturing far from original purpose. The signing of the Guild Pact marked the beginning of the modern Ravnican calendar, and the year now is 10,076. So, what that means is that 76 years ago, um, uh, during the anniversary celebration of the signing of the Guild Pact, the pact that was actually broken and the world descended into chaos, and it did eventually come and get restored again, uh, and the Ten Guilds were reinstated, but it was discovered last year, so in 1075, that one of the guilds, which is known as the Azorius Senate, which I'll talk about later, had built a contingency into the landscape. If the magic of the guild pact was ever broken again, a magical network of ley lines called the Implicit Maze crisscrosses across the land and it would take the teamwork of all of the guilds to solve the maze and reinstate a new guild pact. Are you guys familiar with what ley lines are? Not exactly. Do you want to break it down a little? So the idea of ley lines is that there are areas throughout the world where there are where magic is very strong. And it moves in these lines. They don't have to be straight lines, but they're often these long like it would it would span miles and miles and miles. Sometimes there's a junction between them where they cross. And if that happens, that's a particularly powerful place where a wizard would build a tower. Or um, in Batman, that's where they build Lazarus pits. Uh, ley lines are in the background of a lot of magic stories, um, a lot of fantasy stories, and they're essentially these this grid, although it's not a perfect um, right angles grid. Um, it's very natural and organic, but it's this grid of magical power that moves back and forth across the physical landscape. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, just hot spots. Pretty much. And you yeah. can follow along them. And they flow like rivers a lot of the time. That tends to be a lot of the flavor to them. Is that if you stand on the on a ley line uh, or within one and you are particularly magically adept, you can feel the magic flowing in one direction. And you can follow it in that direction. So, um, Cool. So, yeah. Uh, there was a planeswalker named Jace Bellerin. Jace is a, a like the most famous planeswalker in Magic the Gathering. He is like the main character. What is a planeswalker for people that don't know? Someone who can travel between planes. Like it's it's really just that simple. They're they're heroes. Uh, like they're they're the mythic heroes. Are they mortal? Yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean, they're a step above gods. You know, that's how powerful they are. They're the protectors of the realm. I think at one point there was only a couple of them. Uh, I think maybe five of them. But I mean, that has since grown over the years. But I mean, you get these really powerful cards in the game. And, for instance, in one edition, you'll get Jace that does um, one thing. And then in the next edition, you still have Jace, but he has learned something. Something has happened to him. He has fundamentally changed, and his abilities reflect that. So, like, Jace, to go on a little tangent here, is the one of the main players in the whole Magic the Gathering story. So he's like essentially Mordenkainen or Volo or Xanathar. These these larger-than-life mythic creatures with real power. He's a constant, yes. Okay. Uh, the plane, Yeah, he's a planeswalker um, and he was entrusted with the power over the implicit maze and he is often off-world and when he leaves, the guilds are known to descend into chaos. His word is considered the binding law of Ravnica and any verbal confirmation he makes about a ruling becomes magical law. Right now, he's gone. And guild tensions are rising rapidly. That's the setting that we're dealing with. So, so far, you get the idea that this is a radically different world. There are brand new rules and these, these guilds are a major stabilizing factor and things are becoming chaotic. Um, the whole world is one big city, the core of which is separated into ten districts. And there's a massive road that runs through all ten of these uh, districts, um, and it's called the Transguild Promenade, and it's where parades and festivals are held. Uh, there used to be other cities, but the metropolis slowly absorbed them, and they've become just outer districts of Ravnica. Now it's, it's one big city. However, these cities are not necessarily just concrete um, spires up to the up to the skies and whatnot. There are great underbellies. There are still parts of nature that are out there and entire districts of the city, which are um, which are like old ancient temples with vines growing through them where people still live and move around and they choose to live in these areas. So it's not just one big, uh, like the same flavor. Like Sharn was one flavor all the way through it with the exception of a district here, a district there. Yeah, it was the city of towers. Yeah, this yeah. is not that. It is actually a radically um, a different series of districts and precincts and areas, but there's not these big open spans of dead space in the middle where there's road or there's um, forest or or plains or anything. There's, like, there's none of that. You just go from the border of this right into the border of the next one. Yeah, it's all very much an urban setting. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, there, there's a smelting district, for example. There's a mausoleum district, a lake district, and, and more. Some districts infringe upon others' borders, and the whole thing is as complex as you want it to be. The lake district sounds nice and wonderful. You still there, Terry? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just listening. Okay. <clears throat> um... This is a rich and deep and vibrant world with tons of detail that you can add as you see fit. There are special rules for currency, depending on which guild you're dealing with. There are a few new races, some of which come with unique languages. And the landscape is further broken up into smaller precincts, neighborhoods, quarters, and so on. This is a high fantasy uh, setting with an urban twist on it, with clearly defined guilds, customs, and social structures, each of which can be easily lifted and plunked down into any homebrew world or adapted into another setting. Some of the options that the book offers are random tables that determine what kind of party uh, that uh, you may be creating based on ideology or different common causes that bring the party together, even though they've got different alignments and allegiances. There's even a handy uh, questionnaire about what is important to your character and it helps slot you into a specific guild. Some of the races are closely tied to specific guilds, and there's a useful list in, of which classes are most closely tied to which guild as well, and if you want to determine your allegiances that way. Uh, one of the added details is the concept of renown, which is a basic mechanic um, that is very close to reputation, and it leads to specific benefits within some of the guilds. And this is a score that can increase or decrease as you play, and can actually grant you different ranks, like military ranks, within the different guilds. There's a number of uh, options for membership in guilds, including how to change guilds and what it means to not belong to one. As of the guilds themselves, sorry, as for the guilds themselves, they each have a multi-page section of the book that prescribes to each of them. Um, and each one of these sections, is, it's super long, but it breaks down. It gives you an overview. It gives you a list of goals. There are suggestions on alignments, races, and classes, what it takes to join, a new specific background for each guild. Spellcasters get additional spells if you belong to a specific guild. A new set of tables exists for personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. There's random tables for new contract or new contacts rather within each guild, as well as contacts that guild members would have outside their own guild. A guide to fitting in with your guild, including what to do if the whole party is from the same guild. A list of ranks that you can hold within your guild and the renown it takes to achieve each rank. And a list of common enemies and allies and views upon other guilds. It digs deep into this. Yeah, if you're looking for a very structured um, hierarchy for your players to fit into, this is what you want to do. Uh, this is the setting that you want to be a part of. The guilds are the lifeblood of this setting. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that they have almost shown you how they would go about building an organization or a guild, and I could take their skeleton and create my own guild out of it for my own homebrew world, or I could take any one of these guilds and just drag it by itself right over, right? And so it's it's a lot of um, really solid information. It gives you a different way of thinking about the game. If you want to have your guys be part of an adventuring guild, Right, but the, oh, and then a lieutenant shows up and tells you what to do, and I start to dig into the politics of it. 
crack open Ravnica. That shit is in there. It'll teach you everything you need to know. Um, now, I mentioned Sharn earlier, and much like Sharn and Eberron, Ravnica uh, has a focus on one specific city. The book itself zooms in on, on one portion. This is the 10th district um, instead of, of Sharn, the city of towers. The 10th district is itself a massive city within this even bigger city. Uh, it functions um, as its own city. It has six different precincts. Uh, each of them are very different from each other, and each one of those gets a breakdown in the book as well. There are sections on people, rumors, trade areas, um, trade works, city works, and the undercity. Each district gets a full multi-page breakdown that includes affiliated guilds, neighborhoods, and landmarks, goods and services, and law and crime in each precinct. And there are also random tables for citizens on each precinct, as well as random tables for rumors that you may hear there. I feel like this is where your party starts. This is tier one, and then you will spiral out from here. There's not a whole lot of detail into what all of the other um, districts and, and precincts and, and far reaches of Ravnica have to offer. There's some details in there, but I think it's largely left open to what you want to create in an urban setting that's built around I don't know, uh, part of the city that floats or part of the city that's underwater or part of the city that is ancient old ruins where lizard folk live, right? Like there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity for you to do a lot of different things, but I feel like they want you to go down into the depths in the underbelly, up into the skies, or hang out in the 10th district. Those tend to be the three things or the three locations that they're really promoting in this book. There's a section on creating adventures within Ravnica, actually, and it focuses on the guilds because, of course, it does. Each guild has a section dedicated to a standard map of a prominent location, and it has plot hooks based on random tables for guild locations, enemy plans, character objectives, and general high adventure. We're getting tons of random tables in, these, in this book. There's a lot of great, unique ideas here that I think are fantastic for sniping, especially for Waterdeep or Baldur's Gate. When you're in another, or even in Sharn and Eberron. Like, if you're in a city and you're like, what do I do with an urban adventure here? My guys need to just spin their wheels for a little bit. Will I come up with the next plot hook or they've got some downtime? What can I do? Flip open Ravnica. There's going to be shit in there. There are uh, guides to which guilds work best for dungeon delving, wilderness adventures, intrigue, mystery, disaster scenarios, and protection plot lines. Uh, from a section on how to get to characters involved how to add additional complications and more allies and rivals, and each has their own random table. The adventuring section is actually pretty detailed and no two games will ever be the same. Just running out of the book alone. There's even a short adventure module in it called Krenko's Way, and it focuses, it looks like, uh, centers around a goblin. Yeah, well, Krenko is... Um, uh... I've got a bunch of... I, I built a goblin deck in Magic, and there's cards in it that are like Krinko's Enforcer. Like, they, they really... It sounds like they've really pulled from it. Uh, you were just talking about precincts. There's, like, a whole bunch of cards that like white from Precinct 6. This this is great. I mean, these nothing cards that I've played with for years sound like they're actually getting, you know, a, a lot of good... Attention, they're getting the love they need. Yeah, I, I mean, Krenko, I mean, yeah, the card was always just Krenko's Enforcer. There wasn't, I didn't have anyways, a Krenko card, but it's nice to see that they've actually stuck with that theme. 
You know, they're they're rolling with it, and that's that's great. I love uh, it. You guys should, should see the smile on Dave's face right now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so impressed with how uh, how Ravnica seems to be so so plug and play. Like you're right. You can you can. It's like cut in a section out of a cake and you can just throw it into your into your game no matter which world you're playing in um and a lot of things that can be so intimidating such as like building guilds and, and what to do in an urban setting it, it, it seems to have made it so easy now especially for newer dms they can just access all of those random tables and are not going to feel so lost and uh, i like things like this because it gives you as well as giving you ideas for what you can do it, it also confirms or gives you permission to do the to do interesting things without you worrying that you're going off the rails or not doing what you should do within the game when you're running it as a DM. Yeah, it's almost like a DMG for yeah. campaign settings. Yeah, it's great. Uh, in a lot of ways, it is. I mean, Eberron had that as well, to a lesser degree. Um, it got into a lot of the really cool um, mechanics for different um, different like Warforge or like the different races and whatnot. And it, they, Eberron taught you how to think about adding um high adventure to it like blimps and monorails and volcanoes and dinosaurs and the island of giants and stuff and that if you were to extrapolate from from eberron you're really going to get a solid feeling of, of what how to build um a high adventure campaign same way that if you tear apart um descent into avernus you can figure out what to do on each of the levels of hell right like there's there seems to be a basic skeleton that you can really pull from and this one is all about the urban setting um one of the things that i really like uh now love him or hate him um joss whedon who did buffy in the first avengers movie and and all that uh and of course firefly i was wondering if you were going to forget that or not uh i would absolutely never forget firefly r.i.p wash your leaf on a wind but um there are uh, there's one thing that he said to me, or not to me, there's one thing that he said. I feel like he was speaking directly to me, and that's what's important. <laughs> so, you know, fuck everybody else. <laughs> um, but there, yeah, as, as we were drinking tea in his living room last week, he said to me um, that creating without boundaries is messy. You need to have boundaries to understand what you can accomplish within those boundaries, and it forces creativity. So I like the idea of Ravnica getting rid of some of this other D&D stuff and trying to reinvent itself within the D&D rulescape with a new brand of flavor on top of it. It gives us some crazy new ways to look at something, including magic items. Right? There are a number of new magic items, and they're all pretty powerful. Um, and there's a new way of thinking about magic as well. They include the idea of charms. These are items infused with a spell that can be used only once. Then the charm disappears. You get the charm from your guild, and each guild has a couple of different options for charms it can hand out. There are also useful tables that tell you what magic items from the DMG or Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica are likely to be handed out by each guild. Which is phenomenal. The idea that they're telling you your um your organization will support you with magic items here's the ones they would use why are we not getting more of that indeed it seems like such a no-brainer you know now that someone else said it out loud right yeah but it never would have occurred to me so i love the creativity that they're they're forcing upon themselves with all of this 
So I wanted to ask you guys, as we wrap up this first section, does this interest you as a dungeon master? And if so, why or why not? As a dungeon master, not as a player. Let's roll initiative. Oh, Dave and I both got 14s. I got a 19. Well, I got a 1. I got a 10. All right. <laughs> You're up, Terry. Do you I, like this as a DM? Yes, it does interest me as a DM because I think uh, the amount of detail that Ravnica seems to be going into uh, with a lot of random tables and options, when you were brand new as a DM, that can still be intimidating because you're it's it's almost like when you're a brand new boxer. You don't know which punches are coming from which direction at what time, right? But and so even I completely with, understand that metaphor, yes. <laughs> and so with uh, <laughs> here's me acting like I'm a boxer. I am not at all. <laughs> Josh Whedon were talking about your boxing uh we've career already, the other day. So. We, we've already established I'm the guy at the fifth row at the Battle of Hogwarts just yelling abuse. Um what I mean is so even if it was a newer DM if you have a lot of random tables that's great but it can still be give you that like analysis paralysis it's still too much coming from all these different directions i think as you get more confident as a dm if you find to be yourself to be not too creative but you just like to have options and something you can rely on ravnica is great because if you're you can think on your feet okay roll on the table okay we got one of these perfect roll on this table um and you're thinking kind of middle distance ahead um I, I think it's going to be perfect because, like you said, Adam, no two games are going to be the same. If you're if confident enough in your own ability that you can rely on these random tables and you can kind of roll with the punches of how the players are going, um, I think Ravnica will be very interesting without having to do too much work. Most of the work has been done for you and competently as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Um, Dave, you're next. Uh, <clears throat> so... I feel like Ravnica doesn't get the love it deserves. Um, the The reason I think that is, and the reason I really like it, is because it's so different than everything else you get. Uh, Avernus is just a, a different plane. You're part of the Nine Hells. You do that. Like, that's part of every D&D campaign. You know, you travel to hell. You know, it's a thing. Eberron, it's just... It's the same classic high fantasy setting... But you've got big towers and you've got trains and they've used the world around you to infuse magic into mundane items in a new way. Ravnica, with this urban setting, is just something else. You don't necessarily get that high fantasy that most people expect from Dungeons & Dragons. And I think that that probably is more off-putting to people than it should be. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, D&D in an, in an urban setting feels... It doesn't feel like high fantasy. It feels like Victorian era with magic. Yeah, I mean, high setting is supposed to be elves and dwarves. And, I mean, there aren't dwarves. Like, I mean, it's, there, there's a lot of things about it that just feel very different. Uh, and maybe it's a little too different. I think it, it put a lot of people off. A lot of people thought that this was a sellout move by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, well, I mean, nerds don't like Change cross or anything. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've got. I I feel like even my Dungeons and Dragons friends kind of give me shit when I talk about. Oh, yeah, I was playing Magic the Gathering the other day. Oh, you're one of those. Like, you know, there there's a class structure. It feels. Oh, like. absolutely. Like, 
Like, I am all about Star Wars and Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, but if you bring your anime to the table, I've tuned the fuck out. You're just a <laughs> right? fucking weeaboo. Hey, you know what? To this. It's Get like used the, to it. It's like the football team's going to make fun of the male cheerleaders, and the male cheerleaders are going to make fun of the band. It's like a packing hot <laughs> There's a hierarchy. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is you got to get used to it because Theros is coming and that's Magic the Gathering as well. Right. Like, this is something that, that Wizards is really working at and, like, it's it's absolutely 100% warranted. Sitting down, just, you know, bored going down the YouTube rabbit hole, you can look at all sorts of different Magic the Gathering lore and, like, the story that goes into this over... I mean, decades at this point is just, it's incredible. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that they deserve the sellout um, reputation that they're getting for this. We didn't yell at them for doing Stranger Things. We didn't yell at them for doing a Rick and Morty freaking um, pack that you can buy, like a set. Like, why are we why are we upset about, about Match the Gathering, their own other intellectual property that actually fits pretty well? And it's a neat way of doing shit. It's super interesting, and it's very different. It's not just like they copied and pasted it and found a new medium. I'm hoping that Ravnica and Theros and some of these other settings are going to step up and replace your Greyhawk and your um, Dragonlance settings. I like those, but they've been around forever. Let's get a couple new settings. Eberron is relatively new on the scene, um, and I think that we need to be seeing more like this. So, I mean, that that's my answer as well. Yes, this very much interests me as a dungeon master. So, staying in the same initiative order, Terry, would you want to play as a player in this setting? I would, and I think that's because it gives me that same confidence from the other side, that, that Ravnica as a campaign setting is designed that, that everything has been thought through. So, you know, as a player, you're going to go into a Ravnica game, and there's not going to be any holes it's not going to be like, I mean, we make fun of DMs because they have to think about so much stuff, but it's not like, like I always do this joke with Adam, like, I'm always like, what's the NPC's name? Because you're like, oh, fuck, Jesus Christ. If, with Ravnica, it, there probably definitely is a name. There's probably a stat book. There's probably, he probably has his own guild and probably has opinions on things and this and that. And there's random tables, but depending on what happens. So everything is so thought through that as a player, you're going into this game with 100% confidence that you're going to have a well thought through good game um that you're going to be immersed into that you're not gonna that, that fourth wall is never going to be broken are you going to come back and and you're going to know that obviously the dm doesn't really have the answers over here which is only natural because you can't do everything um but with ravnica i think you can get completely immersed in that game because it's all very well thought through yeah i agree with that uh, i think for me I would like to play in this, but I also wouldn't like to play in this. I would have to have the right DM DMing this for me to be interested. Hmm. Now, that might just be because I probably had the worst D&D session of my life a few days ago, but I don't really want to get into that. It's a 20-minute tangent. Uh, but <laughs> some DMs are better at some things than others, and because this is a little more off the beaten path, I feel like you need a really good DM who's going to pay attention to the little minute details mm -hmm. uh, because those are going to make or break this campaign setting for you. Yeah. yeah. Just th throwing in a bunch of level ones uh, that have never played before that might work, but I feel like you really need someone who's going to know not just what this district is doing, but the ones beside it as well mm -hmm. to try to tie it all together. Yeah. You know, like you really need the right person running the show, the person willing to put the time in. 
I think you're absolutely right. But when, when it comes to these different campaign settings outside of Forgotten Realms, that's on the DM to... I mean, if you're going to pitch it and say, hey, let's play in Ravnica, I'm assuming you've read the freaking book and you've taken some notes and you know what you're doing. And I mean, that might be giving some DMs too much credit there. But um, if you're going to be interested enough in this, then you should... Uh, you should do your homework and be as passionate about it as your players are. I would yeah. love to be a player in this setting. I think that it's absolutely fantastic getting into the weird guild politics. And I want to see what happens if we can eradicate one of the guilds. <laughs> what do we do then? Right? Like, I think that it would be really cool to impose will upon this landscape and see how you can change it. Yeah. The same way that I feel like you can go into the Mornland and Eberron and kill the, the Lord of Blades. Right, that inherently changes the landscape of Eberron moving forward. It's the same kind of thing in here, where I want to see what year 10,077 holds if I blow up District 3. Dave is, is twitching. His eye is literally twitching because I said I'd kill the Lord of Blades. <laughs> you but, can try. Yeah. <laughs> um... So, yeah, I think you're right. It's going to depend on the right DM, but I, in my assumption, in my head, I'm thinking it, with the right DM, yes, I'm 100% on board as a player with this. Yeah. I yeah. want to see the crazy, urban, ridiculous new take on magic as well that, that this has to offer. Yeah. So, before we dig into the guilds, let's, uh, let's cut to a brief commercial. Hello, everyone. Megan here. If you or a loved one are looking to jazz up your in-game experience with specific 3D printed mini pieces for tabletop furniture, castle walls, trap doors, or other useful items to add to your maps and worlds, well, it's kind of your lucky day. We've actually paired with a local Vancouver business called Diabolical Dungeoneers, who are dedicated to adding that other dimension to your game. You can find custom 3D printable items through their Facebook and Instagram at Diabolical Dungeoneer, or at their website at www.diabolicaldungeoneer.com. And for a limited time, if you use promo code MIMIC2020, you get 10% off your first order. Uh, shipping is only available here in the lower mainland of Vancouver, BC, so reach out and inquire through their website. Happy gaming, and always feel free to share photos with us and other D&D communities. Thank you! Okay, guys. Now, I've done a lot of talking, and I think it's about time that I did a lot more. So, let me break down the uh very 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 briefly the 10 guilds of ravnica i'm going to go through them keep your ear out because at the end i'm going to ask you which one is your favorite and and why sure okay so <clears throat> so let me go through this i'm going to go through them in this, the same order they're in in the book which i believe is as close to um alphabetical order as possible i i think i can answer this now it's going to be radkos Okay, all right, you, you, just let me get to it, Dave. Um, so first and foremost, there's the Azorius Senate. These are these guys are all about law and bureaucracy. They're lawful, obviously, often neutral, and you can choose to be either a human or a new race called a Vettelkin. And we'll get into what a Vettelkin is uh, in a little bit. The idea is that uh, each one of these has a handful of different tenets, essentially, like. Um, Kind of like uh, paladins do, like a basic breakdown of what makes your personality. If you want to, um, if you like these things that I'm about to list, you'll probably want to be in the Azorius Senate. 
If you're drawn to the idea of a hard-bitten police officer trying to impose order on a chaotic world, you like the idea of using magic to control enemies, or you like playing enchanter wizards, clerics of law, or unbending paladins. That's the Azorius Senate. Then there's the Boros Legion, which is all about magic and military might. They're good, usually lawful, but they're meant for humans, goblins, and minotaurs as a general rule. And uh, you are drawn to the ideal of the knight in shining armor. You like playing clerics, paladins, or disciplined fighters. And smiting foes with holy radiance fills you with righteous joy. And you want to protect the innocents and fight for justice. Well, this is Dan's right here. You know, this is, I really think, the one Dan would be. Because all, all they could have done to make it a little more Dan-centric would be to add gnomes to that list. Because humans, goblins, and minotaurs are kind of a weird threesome. Hold on. No, that's not the right word. I'm sure we can find a picture of that online. God, Someone has drawn that. I don't want to be the goblin in that threesome. <laughs> Here comes the minotaur! minotaur. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, the next one is uh, is House Demir. This one is your spy network um, guild. This is all about secrets and deceptions. They're neutral, sometimes evil. They're half-elf or human. And you'll want to play in this if you love subterfuge, intrigue, and deception. You like to play rogues, spies, and assassins. The idea of stealing thoughts instead of treasure has a special appeal to you. You want to deceive your fellow players without necessarily betraying them. I feel like you could get a lot of uh, a lot of mileage out of plane shifting in a changeling into into this uh, into this guild. The next one is the Golgari Swarm. This one is all about growth and uh, sorry. The next one is the Golgari Swarm. This one is all about growth and vibrancy of nature, as well as nature's destructive powers, decay, and death. They're neutral, often evil. They're all about humans and dark elves, not drow. The drow in Ravnica are called dark elves because there is no underdark in Ravnica. You'll want to play as a part of the Golgari Swarm if you're drawn to the darker side of nature, or the greener side of necromancy. If you're drawn to sinister, creepy, or grim characters, or you like elves and druids but want to explore an unusual direction. The next one uh, is the Gruel clans. There are a number of different clans that um, are all kind of on the outskirts of society. Uh, these guys are anarchists that live in the moment and have no use for formal organization outside of their own. The clans are uh, the Burning Tree Clan, the Gore Clan, Scab Clan, Slizd Clan, Gravelhide Clan, the Zurta Clan, uh, the Bulrak Clan, and Trogs. These are this is where you're going to run into your barbarians and your your lizard folk and stuff. They're chaotic. I mean, they're anarchists, of course. They're chaotic. They're often neutral as well. Um, but they're humans and centaurs and goblins and minotaurs as a general rule. Uh, and they kind of live far away from the core of Ravnica. You will want to be a part of the clans uh, if you enjoy playing rage-mad barbarians and savage druids. You want to throw off the shackles of civilization and indulge your inner beast. Or you like being a force of chaos who keeps things moving in your adventures. 
The next one is the Is It League. Uh, the they're all about knowledge and creativity, um, and are often manic and reckless. What, Dave? You gotta look at your face. So every time you you mention one of these, I'm I'm starting to associate them with certain things in the game that I've never really done before, and I think it's really important to kind of take a step back and, and look at it all from a big picture for just a half a second. Sorry to interrupt you here. No, 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 come on. Uh, so there's five colors in magic. Uh, red, white, blue, green, and black. And each one represents a very traditional style. These guilds are a melding of them. So the is it is kind of like the the red and the blue, which is kind of like... Um, a Fire melding, and water. Yeah, the melding of, of, of science and rage, if that makes sense. Uh, where green and black was the Golgari. And, and that's, you know, between... Uh, you know, the, the deep dark of nature and death, you know, just the, the kind of melding of those two together. Uh, and I, I know I already brought up Radkos, but um, that's red and black where you get you kind of rage and death together, which will make sense when you get there. But it, it, it's interesting to kind of point out that these are very much all based on the melding of a couple of these different colors together. Yeah, look, I, I'm all about it. If it helps you to understand more about why this guild exists the way that it does, then I think that digging into the to the design ideas behind the origins in the magic, uh, in Magic the Gathering, is that can be really helpful to really give you an idea of what kind of character you want to play. Um, Terry, do you have any opinions on this? Um, on the on, on what you've been through so far like like which one's my favorite you mean or oh no 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 what what Dave was just talking about with um with the blending of the colors and and utilizing uh, yeah, I the can... design of magic the gathering yeah I can start I don't know too much about the design of, of of magic but I can start to see what you're saying now Dave so I'm gonna kind of look at the rest of them in that in that vein and it kind of makes sense, but I'm not too familiar with the, with the colors of, of magic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, a, a quick, just to try to help you get a better picture moving forwards. Uh, red is kind of rage and fire, and yeah. you know, uh, their land is mountains. Uh, black is death, and really death. Um, <laughs> their swamp. Uh, forest is kind of larger than life but very druidy nature that's green it's forest uh blue is islands it's it's water and uh knowledge and um that kind of thing and then white is life and you know growth and holy mm. and that's kind of the the five of them right, right there and it's all these are all just kind of blendings of those ideas mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah all right so let's get into the uh second half of them then i went through five here are the next five uh, sorry, the Is It League, I got cut off. This one's, like I said, knowledge and creativity. They're manic and reckless. Um, they are chaotic, often neutral. And this is for humans, goblins, and Vettelkin. Uh, and you'll want to play this if you like to make things happen and don't care about the consequences. You're drawn to wild magic and dangerous explosions. You want to be an innovative genius. And you relish in the madcap hijinks of goblins. Rage magic. Yep, I mean, that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. Um, the next one is the Orzhov Syndicate. This is about law and social order where they rule above all, often craving wealth and power. Think mafia. 
they're lawful, often evil, and they are primarily human. You're going to be drawn to this if you want to move through the corrupt underbelly of society and make respectable people squirm in your presence. You enjoy playing fearsome or decadent characters. You want to strive for wealth, lavish, beauty, or both. Uh, number eight is, I guess, we already know Dave's favorite, um, the Cult of Rakdos. Um, this is really all about the lust for power and extreme avarice and cruelty in the name of the demon lord Rakdos. He is displayed, um, uh, sorry, this is displayed via so-called performances that are carnival-like spectacles of destruction and sin, and they pop up without warning all across um, Ravnica and are gone by the next day. Think about um, all of a sudden a blood, or a blood orgy appears in the street and everybody gets magically infatuated with it. A bunch of people die. Other people think it was the greatest spectacle they've ever seen and there's no evidence of it the next morning. They are chaotic, often evil, as you can imagine. Um, you can be a human or goblin. And you'll want to do this if you enjoy mayhem. You like playing showy, dramatic characters who are often the center of attention. You're drawn to bards or warlocks. And the idea of finding a heroic way to participate in a demonic cult sounds like a fun challenge. <laughs> Lifted directly out of the book, by the way. It's just, it's the, it's so chaotic. It's fun. Um, the next one is the uh, Celestia Conclave. This is kind of the polar opposite. This is about harmony between nature and civilization with a commune-like attitude that the needs of the group outweighs the needs of the individual. They are good. They're often neutral. And these are going to be your your hippies that, guys, we can all just get along here. Let's let's trade with seeds. This is white green. <laughs> okay, Dave. <laughs> um, you, uh, you'll probably be a human centaur, wood elf, half elf, or loxodon for this. Um, you get the idea of being, or, or if you like the idea of being a huge peaceful community, you like playing druids, rangers, or spiritual monks, you live in victory, uh, or you believe in victory through respectful teamwork, overwhelming numbers, or both, or you want a spiritual connection to something bigger than just your character, this is the guild for you. Um, there's also the last one, the Simic Combine. This is a water-based guild that has two philosophies that are in direct opposition with each other. The first one is to promote and uphold nature, and the second is to perfect and adapt nature. So, they're pretty much always just true neutral. And uh, humans, high elves, simic hybrids, and vetalkin are, uh, are creatures that you can expect to play in, in the simic combine. And you'll be drawn to it. Um, if you're drawn to the image of the mad scientist tinkering with the fundamental forces of life, you like playing curious wizards, druids, or mutants, or you like prying into secrets and mysteries, and they inspires your curiosity, uh, or you want to make the world a better place through research. This one just screams Dan to me. <laughs> the, the tinkering and the and the the nature bullshit. Yeah, I just. I see Dan really enjoying this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the one that's going to make weird toys in their garage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey guys, I added a tentacle to the middle of my forehead. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, let's uh, let's grab our dice and roll initiative. I want to know which one interests you the most and why. I got six. Oh, I got a seven. I, I botched. Yay, Dave got a one. Um, my favorite one on here by far is the Simic Combine. I absolutely love these the the idea of this guild that is is kind of it's got two different personalities, two ways of looking at at the world. One is that every everything in nature is sacred, and the other one is everything in nature should be adapted and combined with something else. They have really weird sciences. Um, it's very close to the uh, to the Izzet League as well, um, because they're both all about experimentation. And this is where you get that secondary flavor. Much like Eberron was steampunk, but also had dinosaurs and giants and high adventure behind it. Ravnica is urban with weird magic and experimentations behind it as well. Um, one of the things that we finally get are drakes with wings in 5th edition. All the drakes up until Ravnica were just like essentially dragon dogs. They didn't have wings. Um, there was the ambush drake and the uh, guard drake. And so... Uh, with this one, finally, we have something that uh, can fly, and and it's because of the Simic Combine and the Is it League that are, are messing around with stuff. And they are literally blending. They're taking bits and pieces of animals and smashing them together and seeing what they can come up with. If you could crossbreed uh, Leopard and, uh, and uh, Hammerhead Shark, what creature would that look like? That is what the Simic Combine is all about. So I'm... I'm really, I'm really all about that crazy, weird, bizarre shit. You really like the island of Doctor Moreau, didn't you? It that is exactly what we're dealing with here. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what we're we're um, talking about. So I really like the Simic Combine. Terry, which one stood up to you? I'm torn. I'm going to tell you the two I'm torn between, and then I'll give my final answer. I was torn between number seven, the Orjok Syndicate, and uh, and I'm torn between that and number three, House Demir. Secrets and deceptions with the spies. I think I'll go for number three, House Demir. And I think the reason for this is finding playing a good intrigue campaign is very difficult. Like, how often do we have to have these like secret, sneaky, peaky missions, and it ultimately just ends up with the entire party rolling initiative in the middle of the ballroom, like when they inevitably fuck it up. Um, like, um, but I think with with all of the rules and and this well thought out um, guild we have with House Demir, I think I'd really lean into this and I, I'd love a well played out uh, intrigue, deceptions uh, sabotage type game uh, yeah I really like that one yeah that's really cool I I figured you would like the Mafia one as well so it makes sense that you like the uh, Orzhov Syndicate Yeah, but you're right it's hard to find anything that's um that is a good intrigue in D&D because you need to have these massive factions these kingdoms that are plotting against each other or whatever and that's hard baked into ravnica yeah which is why it's such a good opportunity for it and intrigue is also about like networking right so there needs to be it needs to be very well thought out trees and trees of connections and how each will affect each other if some if you do one thing to one person and i think lots of times when we're doing intrigue with like standard D without ravnica it just it can come across as crippling to the party. I mean, let's just take like a basic mission. It's like, okay, you have to sneak into here and do this and do this and whatever. The goal is like not to be caught and things. Well, ultimately, everybody has to lose their armor, lose their weapons. They just feel like you're kind of bullshitting them a little bit. But if the whole thing is well thought through in that it's 
almost permission to do it like it's supposed to be this way it's like this way for everybody this is we can lean into a, a side of the game which is often overlooked i think this would be hugely interesting and um yeah that one really appeals to me yeah no that that's cool yeah fair enough um i think i already answered mine uh radcos i know i'm saying it wrong but it's the rad way to say it um i i'm not good at you're not racked with guilt no go home Okay. Um, I think I, think I, he I just is like. Home. <laughs> Damn it, Terry. <laughs> um, the the one thing I, I mean I like I've said in the past a lot of what I like is very outdoorsy things, but I also like watching a spectacle, and nothing is more of a spectacle than these blood orgy carnivals that disappear by the next day. Like this is. It's crazy. This, this this is absolute mayhem. It's crazy. Like I don't, I don't really want to be a part of it, but I, I like the idea of just sitting back and like well, I'm really saying a lot about myself here, aren't I? Um, watching the mayhem. You know, it's 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 something that is I guess probably already been broached as a topic if you were to go through the nine hells, but it's something that's very. It feels very different than the rest. Yeah. Than the rest of the 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 ten guilds, you know, it's it's very unique in that setting, and it it's just you you don't get this every day. And this is a different kind of evil, um, than you're used to in D anD. d This isn't wah ha ha take over the world. This is this is pleasures of the flesh, and people will die while we do it, right? Like it's and I mean these guys, it is a carnival. They have freaking jesters blowing fire and people juggling body parts. And, like, it's a crazy, batshit, insane festival. And it's got a couple of really cool themes that are new that um, are terrifying. Uh, but, like, there's some really neat stuff going on with the... Yeah, I think with I think this one is, is so chaotic and crazy. It, it I think I agree with you, Dave. I would love to watch this happen as well it, it would be phenomenal i'd have popcorn and a beer i'd watch this whole thing unfold um but i think to play in it would be challenging because it's kind of like that same idea as you know when you go to the feywild and it's like all the rules have changed it's not what you think it is things that you thought were important are not important here things that you thought were stupid are incredibly important here i feel like that's what it's going to be like there except that if you don't solve the problem you will die so <laughs> it's like you know when the yeah when the jester cartwheels up to you and offers you like a baby foot or something, you're like, I don't know what the rules are here. How do I not offend you? Do I do I eat this? What do I do with it? Like, uh, <laughs> it, it feels almost like Mardi Gras. It sounds like a good idea, but I want to watch that from my hotel balcony. Exactly. I don't like getting things. I don't like getting my hands wet, and I don't like things that are too sticky. And this sounds very sticky. Like it just, I just don't want to be too close. You know. Yeah. Terry wants to be strapped down in a chair to watch from a distance. Yeah, to watch, to watch from a distance, yeah. So, um, we've talked a lot about guilds. I mean, how many times have I said the word guild in this freaking episode? Uh, 34. Um, wow, Dave. You're freaking Rain Man, aren't you? Um, but what, uh, what, how do you guys feel now about the idea of, of the Ravnica guilds? Was there anything that was glaringly uh, missing, or was there something that really stood out to you as being a unique way of, of handling this that you hadn't really thought about before? Um, I'm just looking for your overall impression now. Would you use guilds 
maybe not even these ones specifically, but is it, should this be a standard part of every D and D game, or is this something that you're looking for now moving forward? Let's uh let's roll an issue about it. Sure. I got a twelve. Seventeen. I, I got a thirteen. Oh, look at Terry. I know. All right. What do you got? I like it because this seems to be like a much more adult version of the movie The Warriors. So now I'm taking this idea of having a lot of different... <laughs> Can you dig it, suckers? Uh, like... <laughs> of, of, of guilds and ownership and, you know, some of them are more gang-like, some of them are more legitimate. Of Now you're not just walking through the city. You can, I like this idea, if there are neighborhoods that you should not go to, it's not as easy as, let's all go to the palace and convince the king, blah, blah, blah. It's, we can't go that way, or it's after this time, we can't go this way, or, no, if we do that, that severs our alliance with this group that won't look for And so I think it's, uh, it, it gives an extra layer of detail and immersion into the game, especially because I previously just thought of guilds as like, I don't know, almost like a church hall with like a waiting room where everybody just goes to sit down until they're like given an assignment that they don't really know why they're doing it. And then they go and rescue the farmer's daughter or whatever it is and come back. But this just gives so much more life to guilds. And and it's, it's so many different ways. And it's as D&D does, it takes everything to the extreme. So instead of just having like... Uh, you know, a kind of a thuggish kind of gang that like occasionally breaks the law or whatever. It's it's yeah, full on blood orgies are perfectly normal here with us. If you like that, you know, come and join us. Oh, all right. Like it's uh, it just takes everything to the extreme. But I think um, uh, yes. In short, I love it. Yeah, I mean, Terry, you'll remember this from the Sunday campaign that I was running for a while there. Um, I tried to include mafias and gangs and famous ships and um city infrastructures and what was the other thing i had guilds and cults and i really tried to lean into the organizational side of D, and i was struggling to come up with any sort of meaningful unique guild or group or organization that would be different from the others without just saying oh well this one's run by a mind flayer and is evil yeah right like it was i i was really trying to get a unique flavor i feel like i succeeded about 50 percent of the time Ravnica succeeds 100% of the time. Yeah. If if I wanted to include a a proper fleshed out guild. Now these guilds really do run like um like businesses almost like organizations. They all seem to have their own weird um way of dealing with all of the other ones as well. Like there are some that are clans, there's one that's a carnival, one that's a mafia, one that is filled with senators. Like they're they're all while they're all guilds and they're all equal, they're all very different in style. Yeah. And so, whereas what I was doing was I was like, okay, so who's the leader of this guild and, and what do they do? What's their domain? Okay. Who's the leader of this guild and what's their domain? And I was looking at it almost from like a the God's perspective of yeah. this guy does this thing, right? This guild does this thing. And that's how we've seen D&D run in the past where even in Eberron, the dragon marked houses are like Dave said earlier, they focus on this one thing. This feels way more three-dimensional and well-rounded as far as what the guilds have to offer because it's not like, oh, we deal with trade and transportation. No, man, they, they deal with, with all of the laws and, and absolutely everything. Like, they've got a broader scope, it feels like. 
That's because you're using the Magic the Gathering setup. They have taken every like ideal and style and broken it down into five different categories, each one represented by a color. And what they've done is they've taken those five colors and mixed them together. So you've got a little bit of overlap between you know, this one and this one, but it has nothing to do with, you know, the other one over here. So that's why you can have such very different ideas, but they're all still coming from the same five basic... Viewpoints, native points. <laughs> yeah, yeah they... like they, they, they really fleshed that out very, very well and applied it to the D&D setting. And I think that goes along with, uh, Dave, with, with what Adam was saying before, what you're saying here is it's, it's creativity with boundaries, right? So it keeps you on the tracks of what you were originally trying to achieve. So if you're crossing, like you talked about the colors, if you're crossing the green and white, and then you have that that you're crossing like life and nature essentially when you're being creative with that guild and that process you're staying within those boundaries to ensure that you do it correctly so you can flesh it out to a very high scale but you know which, what are the boundaries that you stay in so it doesn't start to get blurred you don't start to mix in the wrong ideas and then you're unsure and all oh, now it's too much like this guild because this one is you know is is green and white but if we stay over here on this other one if we stay within the boundaries of red and black we're going to end up with very different products, but we can scale it and flesh it out as much as we like, as long as we remember to stay within those boundaries. Yeah, exactly. The The other thing is you've got not just the, the white and greens, but I mean the, the, the white and green, you know, the one that deals with, you know, nature and life also can identify with, you know, the white and black, which is kind of life and death you know like you get the, there's a blending of ideals where they can overlap and they yeah. can mix a little bit as well yeah so you you really kind of get the best of both worlds times 10 you know like it's it's really there's, there's, an, there's an exponential benefit to to blending these and yeah, having them interact with each other instead of having an infinite number of guilds you've got 10 and whatever guild that you want to make will probably fit into one of these 10 somewhere. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. I feel like 10 guilds is the right number. And you're between 8 and 12, and 10 just feels right. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want any more, because I don't want to overcomplicate shit too much further. But this feels like it's got the depth and breadth that I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, they broke it down into five base categories and assign them a color and like it it all works from there out and it does a good job yeah like a very good job all right do we have any final thoughts on the guilds before we move on no no good all right let's uh let's hit the shout out and then we'll come back we'll talk about player options and monsters Hello everybody. Instead of a commercial or a little spot where we're shouting out ourselves or someone else that we know and love, uh, I want to just uh, take a moment to announce a very rare and uh, very wonderful It's a Mimic announcement that we have. Brad, that's right, male slave Brad, has recently had a little baby boy. They were born uh, at the end of April, and uh, and he came into the world uh, healthy, if a little bit early, and, and bouncing and wonderful. And Brad is going to probably take a step back from most of the episodes for the next little bit as he tries to uh, remember what sleep looks like. So, 
Anyway, congratulations, Brad, everybody. You can reach out to Brad at the subreddit r slash it's a mimic or get a hold of him at clueless game master on Instagram. Uh, and we'll make sure that we pass on any other good wishes that you want to send through the official means. But Brad just had a little boy. It's a second kid and he's super excited and we should all pity him. <laughs> Dan's not in this one because he's dealing with his own children right now. <laughs> okay, so now we've got a couple of new player options um, and I want to talk about that. I want to get your opinions on this. First and foremost, the regular player's handbook races are uh, not present except for humans and elves. Uh, all three of the main elven subclasses exist. So there are high elves, wood elves, and dark elves. But like I said before, there's no underdark, so they're not considered drow. Now, there are six new kinds of um, of playable races, and I'm just going to go through them very quickly. Uh, at the time, I don't believe there was, and I could be wrong here, but I went looking, I don't believe there was a um, uh, stat block, a player stat block for a goblin playable race until Ravnica. Now, Eberron has one as well, and it's come out since, but uh, but there is one for goblins, there's one for centaurs, and everyone should be familiar with centaurs, you know, man on top, horse on the bottom, that's right, ladies. Um <laughs> There are goblins, there are loxodons, which are essentially elephant men. Minotaurs, which are bull men. Um, simic hybrids, which are their own crazy unique thing, where you start off with either a human, an elf, or a vetelkin, and you graft pieces of animals onto your body, and you replace parts of yourself, so you can get gills. A lot of it is very uh, water-based, so you can get gills or fins or uh, tentacles, that kind of thing. And then there's uh, Vettelkin. And Vettelkin are their own kind of weird, unique um, uh, race. And let me let me go through it a little bit. Um, they are all about calm, measured rationality. They are uh, about the fact that nothing at all is perfect, and that is okay. We're all right with that. We're not going to get worked up over things going wrong. And we are going to be, uh, with an intellectual um, and rational mind, we are going to try to change the way that the that the world works. Some direct their energy towards uh, perfecting themselves. Um, and that means like simic bioengineering or through studying and becoming wizards. And uh, others... Um, try to deal with it on more of an institutional level, like uh, through the Senate, uh, the Azorius Senate. And and um, even I could even see them being in, in the Orzhov Syndicate as well, looking for their own power and whatnot. And, and they're consistently questing for more uh, newer ideologies. The big thing about them that you'll be able to recognize them on the street is because they're blue. They are just, just fucking... Bald blue people. And uh, they're, they've got an intelligence score increase and a wisdom score increase. So that kind of tells you what you're dealing with. Um, they're tall and slender and they're pretty much always lawful. Uh, and they are dedicated to, um, to really trying to find perfection. They're partially amphibious, which means they can breathe underwater for up to an hour. And that means that they 
really work well with the Simic Combine. Um, as, as for the Simic Hybrids themselves, it gives you, um, like, your con score goes up by two, and then you can choose one other that, that you want up by one. You get Dark Vision because, fuck, of course you do. Um, and uh, you get an Animal Enhancement. You choose one Animal Enhancement at the beginning and a second one at fifth level. And then you choose between whether or not you want a Manta Glide, um, which you can use as wings to slow your fall or allow you to glide. Um, you can be a Nimble Climber, which means you have a climbing speed equal to your walking speed. Or you can get an Underwater Adaptation, which means you can breathe air and water. And you have a swimming speed equal to your walking speed. At 5th level, your body evolves further, developing new characteristics. You can get a Grappling Appendages or a Carapace or the ability to spit acid. So these guys, again, are going to be unique and different and strange and crazy. Um, the Minotaurs, the Loxodons, and the Centaurs all feel like they should be large creatures. And they have been the monster stats for Minotaurs and Centaurs are. But in Ravnica, they're medium-sized. They're big. They're seven or eight feet tall. But they're still considered medium-sized. And I think that was just to balance the playing field with everybody. They don't have um, effective levels. Or enhanced levels um, like they did in 3.5 and other editions where if you wanted to be a monster race you're just like fine the first three levels of your character are just eaten up by the fact that you're a minotaur yeah so everyone else is level four but you're level one and it's going to be balanced because you have all these weird racial boons and bonuses as well there are things that minotaurs get like the ability to rush people and gore them uh hammering horns there are things that uh that Loxodons can do. Like they've got um, a trunk that they can grasp with. And there are uh, hoof attacks for centaurs. Like this stuff is pretty standard. I, I don't think I'm blowing anybody's mind with this. But with only eight base races in here. Um, I really I really feel like you know what you're getting into. As much as the guilds are very complex. I think they limited the number of races, and I don't think that's a bad thing. A lot of people will dislike that, but remember, you get backgrounds, you get additional spells if you're a spellcaster, you get a lot from your guild, right? You get magic items, and so you and you can fill kind of the niche of the perspective, either the chaos or the inquisitive nature or the the friendliness, whatever it is, you can fill that in from your PHB races that are missing into these these new different races as well you wanted to be honor bound but there's no dragonborn or dwarves here that's okay you have loxodons and minotaurs right so it does give you a different flavor there are two new um subclasses as well one for clerics and one for druids the clerics one is called uh, the order domain which represents discipline and devotion to institutional laws and it actually is a lot fucking cooler than i'm making a sound um, and druids get the circle of spores subclass, which the internet absolutely fucking loves, uh, because it's goddamn nutty. It focuses on the part of the circle of life uh, that's kind of gross, which is rot and decay, and it's pretty powerful. You have spores that are like invisible that follow you around all of the time, and you could just like affect the area around you and shit, like infecting it with spores. So it's a uh, it's dirty and it's gross. How do you guys feel about uh, about the player options? Do you like the limitations? Do you like the uh, um, the options that are given? Are you missing something? Let's roll initiative. Sure. 
Uh, nine. What did I get? I got a twelve. Thirteen. Well, you are you constantly are doing this to me, Terry. <laughs> Sorry. We're letting him say his number last. Sorry. Uh, yeah, is that what it is? All right. <laughs> I'm gonna make him say it first next time. Uh, I like him. I'm particularly intrigued by Loxodons. I like the idea of like a Loxodon barbarian or something with like um, ripped up kind of ears and like barbed tusks and maybe some scars and stuff. I, I like the idea of that character, but um, I don't like the fact that they they brought them Minotaurs, Loxodons, Centaurs down to to medium-sized creatures, um, I'm sure there's a reason behind that. Uh, I think, I, to me, they're large creatures. They always have been. You know, no, you know, when they were monsters, they were large creatures. Just keep them as large. There's just limitations that go along with that. Um, otherwise, I think it's just. I do, I'm sure there's a reason, but I don't understand why the change. So now we have to adapt to this change that, for me, doesn't really make sense. You know, minotaurs are massive. They're for me, they're large creatures. So I know that's the only part I don't like. And why, Honestly, why is a centaur medium um, if a horse is large? Could you get a centaur riding a centaur? <laughs> well, uh, yes. All right, calm down, Dave. This is, like, is that a sex thing? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know, put anything out, you know? This, uh... Look, I think that they're considered medium creatures just for the simplicity of uh, of designing a city. Right, if you've got these massive fifteen-foot doors in some areas, and yet you've got goblins running around in other areas, uh, I just think that it's going to make everything feel weird, weirdly sized. Yeah, uh, you're going to have to deal with a lot of what size are these weapons? Why would I not pick a minotaur because they get the ability to get a plus one d four because their axe is bigger and yeah, like there's just a lot of additional math that I think is going to be involved. And in the name of fifth edition's simplicity, they said, "No, fuck it, make a medium." Yeah. Now, to be clear, loxodons or sorry, um, centaurs uh, do have the ability to act as large creatures when it comes to carrying capacity, and uh, minotaurs do have an imposing presence, which means you can either choose intimidation or persuasion um, to be proficient in as well. And I'm just looking at Loxodons. They had uh, oh, they got a natural armor and powerful build as well. So uh, the powerful build, so they count as one size larger when determining carrying capacity and the weight you can push, drag, or lift. So they're acting like large creatures a lot of the time. Yeah. But I feel like the difference between Andre the Giant and my mom is huge. <laughs> but they're both medium-sized creatures. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> So I don't really have an issue with this too much. I, you know what? I really like it. I like the, that there's a limitation. I think that if there were dwarves and gnomes and stuff, trying to fit halflings into this world feels a little strange to me. I like that it's weird and different. And they've made room for the Simic hybrid to be a playable race and not just something that anyone can, can do with a template. So I don't know. I'm a big fan of that. Dave, what do you think? Uh, so... I haven't gone through the Ravnica book <clears throat> at all. Right. Uh, so I wasn't really sure what six races you were going to list. And as you started going through it, you said goblins. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I have a deck that's all goblins. And then you said centaurs. I'm like, well, yeah, no, I have a centaur deck. That makes complete sense. Oh, and minotaurs. Y yeah, no, I, I have a minotaur deck. And then loxodons. is like, well... I mean, I don't have a purely Loxodon deck, but one that's mostly, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of 
congruities. You know, I'm seeing a lot of how this has really come together. And I'm absolutely loving it. You just said that the Minotaurs have an intimidate thing. Well, in Magic, there's a, an ability called intimidate where they can only be blocked by creatures of the same color. And that's something that is not uh, just for Minotaurs, but it's something that they have. That's one of their better abilities. It's something that they they use more than most others and i'm 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 loving it i i think that they're all the translation worked for you uh, well, I'm, yeah. yeah i'm loving it i'm going to i'm going to spend some time at home looking at this this is this is great this has absolutely changed my fundamental understanding of not just how D&D can be but how magic is as well and like how it all kind of translates back and forth are you more excited for theros now uh, the campaign setting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Theros was like my bread and butter for magic. I mean, I got into magic in the 90s when I was a kid, but not like I did when I was an adult. And when I got back into it as an adult, Theros and Born of the Gods and Journey into Nyx, which is all kind of one big run, um, was was what I... That, that was where I really got into it, right? So that was... I am looking forward to that. This is... Uh, yay. <laughs> i'm loving it all right so um let me move on to monsters this is the last section that we have um there's a neat section by the way that includes which monsters are associated with which guild as allies and they're arranged by cr as well which is helpful for dms so if you want to be like hey who would you run into in this this building that is associated with this guild um, then you would find out that the homunculi are available here, or you can run into um, things like uh, like orcs over here. And these things do exist in the world. It's funny, there's a limit on playable races, but there are a shit ton of monsters. Anything from the monster manual is on the board. So, um, there are all sorts of new humanoids with stat blocks, but there are unique celestials, and the, the angels are freaking amazing in this. Um, there are new constructs, Fey, Undead, and Fiends. And Rakdos even has a stat block. He's CR24, by the way. Um, there's a new, unique ancient dragon with a challenge rating of 26. Uh, he's technically red, but he's not considered a red dragon. And he actually runs the Izzet League, which is all about the experimentation and the science side of things. What's his name? Uh, Niv Mazette. Okay. Does that stack with your magic? I, not to me. There, there's another dragon that I'm familiar with that I was okay. hoping it would be, but it's not. So. All right. Uh, there's a whack of new giants. There's some cool monstrosities, including Krasis, which are creatures blended together by the Simic Combine and given new life. Just a few examples of Krasis are the Battering Krasis, which is a fusion of a hammerhead shark and a powerfully built uh, beast, a croconura, which is a crocodile, a crocodile frog, the drake wing crasis, which is a lizard and a drake, the teratosuchus, which is a crocodile crab, the shamble shark, which is a shark crab, and the sharkto crab, which is an improvised and improved shamble shark that includes octopus elements as well. Sharkto crab? Sharkto crab. I feel like I've seen that movie. It's it's on it's on sci-fi. It's on space. Yeah, at like two in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are actually tables with how to create your own crisis as well, and there are stat blocks for five humanoid simic hybrids as well that can be run into as monsters. 
Um, they have elementals, uh, including an arc light phoenix, which is essentially lightning and fire mixed into one. Um, there's an experiment gone wrong when trying to combine elements of fire and water. An elemental being crafted from binding lightning, fire, and smoke into a metal steampunk frame that resembles an angel. And a bipedal ice creature with elemental lightning harnessed inside of it. So on the outside it's ice, on the inside it's lightning. And there are some other cool twists on classic monsters like there's a new Medusa. There are two new kinds of vampires. There's a new lich. There are even some new terrifying aberrations called horrors which you can customize and they encourage you to use the madness tables in the DMG. Guys, did I say anything there that really stuck out to you that you want to know a little bit more about? We've got a little bit of time to go into a slightly deeper dive on on three of these creatures. Let's roll initiative. I got a two. I got 18. We're going to wait for Terry to go first this time. Yeah, all right. Dave's, Dave's got an eight. What stood out to you, Terry? Um, I want to know more about the vampires, if you have information on the new vampires, or the aberrations, the horrors. Uh, pick one. Vampires. Uh, there are two kinds of vampires. There's a blood drinker vampire, and there's the mind drinker vampire. I love the sound of mind drinker. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, is there one you want me to focus on? Let's do mind drinker. Alright, uh, really quickly then. Uh, I'll just give you a quick break, breakdown of the Blood Drinker. It's a challenge rating 8, which is low for vampires. They're they're higher. So this is kind of a tier 2 vampire. They get multi-attack. They get all the crazy bite stuff with necrotic damage. Um, and they can parry. Uh, and they But they don't have the regular um, vampire like sensitivity to sunlight. I think these guys can just be killed. Oh, really? Without the whole mist thing? Yeah. However, the Mind Drinker vampire is a challenge rating 4. It's actually even lesser. It has a bunch of shit that it can do, uh, including the fact that it is a, it's a psionic innate spellcaster, um, which means that it can at will cast a uh, message, charm person uh, three times a day, hold person three times a day, mirror image three times a day, sleep three times a day, and once a day it gets its gaseous form and major image. It has shadow stealth, which means it can take a hide action as a bonus action in light or darkness, it gets sunlight sensitivity and it has you know your basic multi-attack with bite and unarmed strike they're not overly powerful um, of course the bite regains hit points for it um, but it has a power called mind siphon where the vampire targets a creature can see within 30 feet of it the target must make a dc 14 intelligence saving throw which i always like to see intelligence saving throws fuck you barbarian <laughs> um and they roll it with disadvantage if the vampire has previously consumed the target's blood. On a failed oh, save, man. the target takes 8d6 psychic damage, and the vampire discerns the target's surface emotions and thoughts. On a successful save, the target can take half as much damage, and the vampire discerns the target's general emotion state or emotional state, but not its thoughts. So this thing, it, it gets in your mind. I love this, and I would totally throw this on someone like Strahd. I love this ability. This is only a CR4? Seems yeah, very powerful for CR4. Got, uh, AC 14, hit points 55. And uh, high dex and intelligence, and kind of average everything else. Yeah. This seems 
This is like going to be about initiative, of... though. It's, if you get the jump on this thing, you'll take it out in one round. Um, if, but if they get the jump on you, or if they've got the action economy on their side, they're, they're going to be difficult to deal with. Uh, this would be a gr this would be great to run in Strahd as like a you know a kind of a, a right hand man type thing. Who's going to be you're going to be using to do the sleep spell while Strahd is doing something else. Gross. That's exactly what I was going to say. The the right hand man thing. This guy seems like the the lieutenant to the guild boss. Yeah. He's I, he's the one that's going to be there interrogating you as you're having the conversation with the guild leaders. Yeah, yeah I I agree. I like also just walking down an alleyway and it's night and you look up and there's seven of these guys on the rooftops looking down at you. That's a good challenge for a level 16 party. Yeah. Right? Like these guys, they it allows them to be minions. And one or two of them are going to get a bite in and then be able to do this just crazy amount of psychic damage to you, right? So I like the idea of maybe putting some blood drinkers or regular vampires around with them. And these guys pop in. It's almost like the, uh, um, what were the, shit, the name is, is escaping me now. Was it Death Eaters? What was the, uh, what are those creepy wraith things in Harry Potter? Dementors. Oh, Dementors, yeah. Right? The Dementors were high-level, nasty bad guys that could really fuck your day up. But there, it was easy enough to get rid of them, and they would they would flee, and there was a... And they weren't the big, bad, evil guy that's cackling maniacally over in the corner. Right? I yeah. don't know. I, I like these, these mind-drinker vampires quite a bit. Yeah. Um, let's see. Dave, you went next. Was there anything that jumped out to you? Yeah, what can you tell me about angels? Uh, that's another creature that i use extensively in my my various decks uh, they're white aligned and they're so friggin powerful they fly uh which is uh, just the kind of ability that can be game breaking so I'm, I'm, just, I'm really curious about what angels can do well there are six celestials and uh three of them are not angels but there are three that are there's the I'll read them out loud. The names of them, Dave. You can choose one. There's the Battle Force Angel, the Death Pact Angel, and the Fire Main Angel. The first one. Let's do the first one. Battle Force. Battle Force. Yeah. The Battle Force Angel is a CR five. It gets the ability to uh, do flyby, so it doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity when it flies out of an enemy's reach. Um, specifically, flies out though. Uh, it has magical resistance, which is good. And it has Battlefield Inspiration. I mean, it gets a long sword with multi-attack. Um, but uh, Battlefield Inspiration it chooses up to three creatures it can see within 30 feet of it until the end of the Angel's next turn. Each target can add a D4 to its attack rolls and saving throws. Wow. So um, there's that. There's also, uh, just really quickly, the, the Fire Main Angel is CR12. Gets a bunch of spell casting and also has the flyby. And, of course, the spell casting is... Uh, is compelled dual guiding bolt daylight and fireball right and it tends to be it looks like it's more magical it's got uh got some plate armor and the death packed angel has a big ass fucking scythe and looks badass with big black wings um it gets flyby as well uh and it gets a bunch of uh of spells command detect evil and good charm person darkness suggestion and raise dead uh, it gets Chains of Obligation, which means the angel targets one creature 
charmed by it that it can see within 90 feet of it. Hold on, I gotta do this again because they're just, like, are they just peeing all the time upstairs? What is this? Maybe they had some bad Indian food. So the Chains of Obligation means uh, this angel targets one creature charmed by it that it can see within 90 feet of it. The target must succeed on a DC 19 charisma save or become paralyzed for one minute or until it takes damage. That's messed up. I love I, it. I gave this to one of my players on the Sunday campaign and it just fucked my world up. It's a DM. That is something I should never give anyone. No, of course not. Um, there was also, they also have uh, as a bonus action exploitation of the debtors. Which means that the target, uh, the angel targets a creature charmed by it that it can see within 30 feet of it. The angel deals uh, 2d10 necrotic damage to the target and the angel gains temporary hit points equal to the damage dealt. And because most of its spells are charm kind of spells like command and charm person and suggestion, like this thing is going to show up, charm you, and then hit you with necrotic damage, paralyze you, and carry you away. I, I love this. this. This thing is is one of my favorites. It's um, it's like a crazy grim reaper. But uh, I went last, and uh, mine was going to be the death pact angel. So we 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 landed on the same thing there, Dave. Good. So, um, I guess that pretty much wraps us up then on Ravnica. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, like, is this an overwhelming yes, an overwhelming no? Are you on the fence about it? Let's roll initiative and find out uh, and find out what we each think before we wrap this up. <laughs> I got a natural twenty. I know I rolled really. Damn hard. it, Terry! I rolled a nineteen. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've never rolled this well in a, in a game, Terry. No, I mean, my first two rolls were terrible. I rolled a six and a two with my first two rolls today. But uh, it's well, I want great. you to know that Dave, Dave and I both rolled natural ones now. Yeah, I'm using Stephanie, and she usually rolls quite well. So there cool. we go. Say hi to Stephanie for me. <laughs> um, Terry, what are your final thoughts? Um, I love Ravnica. Honestly, when we uh, when we talked about doing this episode, I wasn't too excited. I was like, okay, whatever, another campaign setting. But I, I really like it. And the reason I like Ravnica so much is it's, I think, is moved the ceiling. For those people, well, like the both of you and, and Dan that have played, played this game for years and years, and it's like you think you know just about everything now. I mean, Dave's very familiar with magic anyway, but you, you've, you've kind of seen it all. It's hard to get creative. Maybe you think you're coming to the limits now of, of your DMing ability. You, you've seen it so much. And this has just opened a whole new warehouse of everything. Okay, so everything you thought you were confident at, we can add so much more onto now. We can, we can explore this in so many different directions. Here's a load of monsters you've never seen before, but fit in easily with the rest of the game. Here's some new vampires, some new angels. So, so now we can play with very experienced people who are getting that same sense of wonder that brand new players get, where they're like, oh my god, what is this thing? I've never seen this before. Uh, because I think that's what we lose over the years. We love this game so much that eventually we, we lose that wonder. I mean, Dan, I make fun of him all the time because I can't play a game of D&D without Dan announcing what the monster is before <laughs> before the rest of us find out. I'm like, oh my god, what is this thing? And he will just say what it is. I'm like, fuck's sake, okay. Uh, but, but now, with this, he can't do that to me anymore now, unless he inevitably will read this book but um uh, so i think it's 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 just opened up so much more so so new players are going to enjoy it for the same reasons that they enjoy D anyway but now the experienced players get to to flesh out 
their their dungeon master skills uh, because everything is new, uh, as well as their their player um, enjoyment because everything is new. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with everything that you just said, Dave. What's what's your final thoughts? I may have mentioned this before, but I really like Aberon. Okay, and I know I always go back to it. Uh, I have recently been able to put my hands for the first time on an Eberron book, but I haven't actually done anything out of it yet. I want to put that aside and I want to play with this. This is, this is the new shiny toy. All right. I, I, I like this. I, I mean, I've, I've been playing magic for years. Uh, I've got, I mean, I'm no expert by any means. Um, I still have to look up how a rule, you know, does this sometimes uh, and how certain cards will interact with each other. And I know I get some of it wrong, but the 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 coral you know how when you're watching a movie and they throw in those little callback easter eggs that are neat and they yeah. have no impact on the story whatsoever this is stroking your nerd boner is uh, that what's happening big time big time right like this this is so well, much time, fun okay uh, how would you know I, you don't answer that. Voice. Anyways, moving on. Um, yeah, no, this this is so much different for the reasons that I like Eberron, uh, which are it, it takes the classic high fantasy and does something different with it and while still staying true to the high fantasy. This just kind of throws that right out the window and does its own thing. And I, I love that. That's great. This is a new, fresh take that you just don't really get anywhere else in 5th edition. But there's still room for that high fantasy in this as well, which is fantastic. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you don't necessarily need that, right? Whereas I feel like in Eberron, you probably do. You know, there there is still that side of it. So, I mean, yeah, no, I love it. Give me. I gotta say that this is probably my favorite campaign setting that has been released so far. Like, I love me some Eberron. And uh, I actually have the Tal'Dorei uh, setting that's been released as well. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for Theros. That there's been some good stuff. The Sword Coast Adventures Guide left me a little flat, but man, I freaking love this setting. And nobody's doing it. When Eberron got released, Rising from the Last War, when that book hit, there were all of these brand new um, channels and and games that were popping up. People doing actual plays in Eberron, and everyone was really excited about it. That didn't happen when Ravnica hit. And I am desperate to find out what stories and adventures and I want to watch a TV show set in Ravnica. I think it's because it's, it's like I said, you need the right DM and it, it, it's to learn this setting and apply it to players. You need to have the right group of people and it can be a little daunting. And I think that that kind of puts people off, which is absolutely wrong. You don't like get into this. This is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hear what you guys are saying. It it does really lend towards more experienced players, um, kind of getting their getting their hands dirty in this world, and it gives a lot of new stuff. I feel like these guilds and stuff would be an additional complication to put on brand new to D and D players. However, I don't think that it is so dense or so overwhelming that that people can't understand it, right? This is just another aspect because you get a new... You're already dealing with the background. You get a new background. You're already dealing with spells. You get an an, uh, extended spell list, right? Like, it's not that crazy, and you can tell radically different stories in here. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you've 
never played before to leave this alone. By no means. If you never played before and you want to get into it, it's certainly manageable. Mm-hmm. Like, you absolutely can. It's just a very different game than, I think, what the experienced people are used to. It is a very different tone. I will I will agree with you on that. When people sit down to play D&D for the first time, I think they're expecting Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Sorry, Harry Potter <laughs> or, or Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, that's not what this is, not by a fucking sight. And they can wrap their brains around Eberron and Steampunk, so I, that's a little accessible. But the tone and the style of this is so different. And it is so radically um, like out of left field. That it, I think, shocked a lot of people at first. And I, I cannot say enough. I want to hear about these these actual plays. I want to listen to them. I want to know more stories that are happening here. I want to know how the um, different guilds are all dealing with each other. And what happens uh, out in the, in the extended districts beyond the core. I want to know about the parades. What happens when the cult of Rectos decides that they're going to throw a parade. Um, and the Trans Guild uh, Promenade, and they just, like, take up the core for a weekend, mm-hmm. right? And they have... They, it's not just Mardi Gras. It's, like, Mardi Gras on steroids. It becomes fucking Burning Man, right? Like, I I want to see the crazy shit that, that this setting has to offer, uh, and it's it's not getting touched. It's completely underutilized this is a hard yes for me i am 100 percent in so and i think we're all in agreement that given the right circumstances with the right people this is something we definitely want to dig into a little bit more but uh that's it for this week's episode on ravnica you can find us on itunes spotify and youtube as well as dozens of other podcast apps you can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com Thanks for listening to the It's Mimic podcast. Make sure to check us out next week when we're covering dwarves. You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. We've been talking about Ravnica all freaking episode, and I am curious, guys. Um, we know it comes from Magic the Gathering. What's your favorite card game? <laughs> from Magic the Gathering? I don't know. The, I no, don't no, know no, 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 no. Any card game. Do, do, do we want to roll? Yeah, let's roll. Let's roll. Sure. Let's roll. <laughs> 11. I got a 5. Uh, I got 6. Okay. Uh, well, I actually really like Magic the Gathering. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It, you nerd. It, it changes a lot <laughs> with the different editions. Um, there are different abilities that come out. They phase out old ones. It's always fresh. If you care that much about it, there is actual storyline that goes with all of it. Uh, and the cards are very th- much themed. It's It's very interesting if you look at it for more than just its face value. But that being said, uh, who doesn't love Uno? Uno is the best. Like, it's great. So I'm going to go with Uno. Uno's so stressful. (laughs) (laughs) What, I have to pick up four now? (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Uh, 
my favorite individual card or card deck? Who is it? Like no, cause what's what's your favorite card game? Oh, my favorite card game. Um, I don't know. I'm I assuming guess... that you spend enough time in the military that you sit around playing cards every once in a while. That's right. I don't. I like. Um, I like poker, but not crazy like poker. But I more enjoy it because I like the body language and the trying to read people more. Um, I'm horrendous at it. I lose every time. But I like I like casual poker to try and see if I can determine when somebody's behaviors changed and stuff. So not really for the game, more just because I'm just a weird person that watches people. It's it's also a puzzle. It's not just a card game. Yeah, you know you're you yeah yeah I'm with you. I absolutely freaking love poker, uh, especially <laughs> Texas Hold'em. Yeah, uh, I try not to play with people though because I make enemies. <laughs> Are you like a? I, do you slow play people or are you aggressive? Oh, uh, I have a method where I swap back and forth between them, uh, between yeah. tactics and whatnot. I, you know me. I mean, I get to strategize, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I get to actually not be a DM and become adversarial. So <laughs> I, I do a poker night with a lot of friends that I've had for well over a decade. We get together maybe four or five times a year to do a poker night. Yeah. But I mean, at this point, I can read these guys like a friggin' book i i feel like i'm better than a lot of people at reading others and these guys specifically they just they try but it just it fails miserably we have one friend who you know does the whole sunglasses and a hat thing and it's just the funniest friggin' thing because he forgets and when he finally gets a good hand that's when he remembers to put the sunglasses on so he puts the sunglasses on and yeah, there's yeah. his tell right there like he's just he's not helping himself you know yeah I think what people like a major thing, you know, like not that I'm like an expert in this. It's it's not any one behavior that suggests something. It's when your behavior changes, no matter what it is. So if you're a manic and bouncing your knee all over the place and tapping the table, that's perfectly fine. As soon as you stop doing that, something has changed. That's. But I think the the people that do the the, the hoodie and the sunglasses are trying to hide some behavior, but it's not that. It's when whatever you're doing changes. Yeah, I agree with you. That's. That's why I have a lot of fun with it because I like watching people and then yeah. making strange um, movements or purposefully getting a tick for forty-five minutes and then yeah. dropping it and shit like that. Like <laughs> exactly. it's less about winning the card game and it's more about me trying to outact you for money. Yeah, the false yeah. tells. Yeah, yeah. I think it was maybe it was Littlefinger, maybe it was Cersei that said sometimes you just just make strange moves even if it doesn't make sense or even if it seems to work against you um, just because you have to keep the, the opposition constantly guessing so just do something strange so they're like why the fuck did he do that what's all that about really it didn't really mean anything yeah I'm going to start to apply that to my DM styling as well just to mess with Dan oh Jesus oh Dan okay I'm not part yeah. of that campaign that's fine <laughs> <laughs> what about you Adam uh I like crib. It's a classic. It is. And I, it helped me do very small math. And it's one of the reasons why I feel like I'm so solid with, uh, with D and D math. Cause I'm always adding three or five or seven or, you know, I, I'm always adding up to any number underneath 29, except for 19. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like 19 is probably the hand that I've gotten the most in crib. I believe that. But I mean, again, nothing feels better than at the end of a game of crib, yelling at your friends and rubbing it in his face that you've double skunked him because he is so bloody terrible at the game. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's about bragging rights. 
Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>